Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Good to see everybody, and we want to welcome our YouTube audience that are watching us on live stream. And have you noticed after watching our Prophecy Update, there's a lot of knuckleheads running around trying to rule the world from Rocket Man there in North Korea to the Ayatollahs in Iran, and you see Russia and Turkey, Erdogan, and all these people, even in the United States, that just boggles your mind how difficult they are to deal with because they're, everything they do is opposing God. And I think this leads into why we're studying Exodus at this time providentially. When you start looking at some of the things Moses was going through and dealing with Pharaoh, it's kind of similar to what we're having to deal with right now. There's a lot of Pharaohs running around. There's a Pharaoh over California, right? There's Pharaohs all, all over, you know, the Chicago mayor is a Pharaoh. And now we're starting to learn that these, even down to the lower levels, I was talking to Rory earlier on about what's going on with the teaching aspect, and I wanted to see the, kind of the semi-Pharaohs that are going on there. And you're like, what do you mean? Well, Rory was telling me about a situation where the, these kids are going back to school, it's all online, and one of these teachers who decided to be a Pharaoh saw a BB gun on the back of the wall of the kid's room. Immediately, she calls the cops. The cops come to the house and, and, and charge the kid and the parents for bringing a weapon to school. Did I miss something? The kid's at home with a BB gun. He's not at school. Where did that teacher think they're at? Did she think that at home is an extension of her power? That she can mandate that? I saw another situation where a teacher uh, got mad at one of the students for not wearing a mask in school. By the way, they were all online. He was at home. Why are you telling him what he can do in his own home? If he doesn't want to wear a mask in his home, he doesn't have to. But you notice that these people get on power trips and they become hard-hearted like Pharaoh and they start trying to control everything. And we're seeing this on a global level. We're seeing it on a church level. And I think that's why I think when, we're, when God led us back into the Exodus, why I understand why he did. He wanted us to see the signs that we're in and see that you're not just dealing with one Pharaoh. You're dealing with a lot of Pharaohs running around. And they're crazy. They're nuts. And the scriptures tells them hard-hearted people. There's a reason they're hard. I'll explain that. The Hebrews also gave a name to people who were hard-hearted, called them stiff-necked. Even God will call Israel stiff-necked at times. What does stiff-necked mean? They got the phrase from how they dealt with oxen. And they would put a bull ox in a, uh, pull in a plow and whatnot and have a yoke around him. And as long as the oxen cooperated, they could plow a field and the power of that oxen was great and they could do it in pretty good time. It was when the ox decided to do his own thing. It was when the ox decided to be stubborn, and what that ox would do is he would tense all his neck muscles in that yoke, and at that point, once that ox did that, they couldn't control him. And he just did what he wanted to do. He was so powerful, he could just stop all their plowing by tensing the the neck muscles. So the Hebrews took that as a euphemism and put it on people and saying, that guy's acting like that. 
And then the other connotation is hard heart. Now, what you're seeing on even on a global scale is a lot of hard heart people. Our culture has become hard hearted. And specifically, what hard heartedness is, is it's towards God. They're hard hearted towards God. And so you and I get caught in that battle and we get blamed. But really, you know, the shutdown on the churches really is an attack on God. It's a, a hard heart towards God. Because if these people had a softened heart towards God, they would let God's people alone. But they're not. And like you say, they're, they're finding churches and doing all kinds of things to shut them down. And, and, and even bring it down to a lower level, you're going to be dealing with people in your own personal life that have categories of their life, or maybe the whole life is like this, that are hard-hearted. And most people have typically pockets of hard-heartedness that you're dealing with in your family, in your friends, neighborhoods, or whatever it is. And the challenge for you and I is why are those hard-hearted people in your life? Why are they there? Why is God not taking the situation and intervening to make it better? Okay? What you'll see in the text is there's a reason that God keeps hard-hearted people around, as he does with Pharaoh. He'll say in the text, I could have killed Pharaoh, but I didn't. And I think what you have to realize is that there's a purpose behind that. Even in your own life, that hard-hearted person might be a thorn in your side, and you pray and pray that God... You know, hey, I don't want to deal with this person anymore. They're a knucklehead. And you know what God does? He leaves the knucklehead in your life. And he's doing that for a reason. So the prayer that you might want to change is instead of saying, take Gavin Newsom away, right? Well, we'd all like to say that. Not in death, but just take him out of the office, right? But instead of that, you're going to say, what is the lesson I'm supposed to learn by having a knucklehead in office like that? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react? Because obviously, it's a purpose for God. And that's what you're going to see with Pharaoh. And we're going to drill down pretty deep into understanding this so that we can come out with an application in handling difficult people. Because that's all you're going to get in life is difficult people. Every time you turn around, it's a difficult person. And so I want to do that at the outset and understand that's what we're going to look at today and focus really primarily on Pharaoh. Anyway, I'm going to do some backtracking a little bit from last week just to bring us up to speed because we're in the middle of the boils plague. I'll refresh our minds and then we'll move into the heart of the matter, which is Pharaoh. Let's start in verse 9. This is, again, retracing some steps. And it says this, And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in the sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. And just to refresh our minds, Moses was told to take soot from a furnace throw it in the air, and then they would become boils. I'm not going to go in depth to explain that because I explained that the last sermon. I just want to set the stage. That's where we're at. So these boils are, are breaking out on people. Verse 10, Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven, and they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And so now what we're, we're seeing here with the boils, it's attacking the, the people of Egypt. And what basically the, the second set of plagues has done is attacked the Egyptian economy. It's attacked uh, the natural resources, it attacked the tools, and now it's attacking the people. If you take all three elements out of an agrarian society, there's nothing that could be grown, there's nothing agriculturally that's coming, and if the, the economy is based on the agriculture, then you're flat broke at that point. So he's, he's hit the economy. And again, we talked about him, the, the, the gods that God's attacking, these fallen angels are Amenhotep, Thoth, Nefertium, Isis, and Sekhmet. 
Now you think, okay, what's the big deal? I'm not asking you to understand what every god meant. What the point is overall is these were the gods of medicine. And these gods of medicine can't heal the Egyptians because God's saying, I'm the only healer. And these fallen angels that you're worshiping can't save you. And this is what I just want to do. One more thing about this. If you recall, what was happening here is Egyptian religion, that narrative of the Egyptian religion was combined with their medical. So what guided the medical wasn't real science, real facts and evidence. It was their religion that guided the medical. And I want to bring that to light and just reemphasize that one more time. Because, folks, you're seeing a narrative in our medical industry that comes from the left. It is an agenda. And they're foisting this on the entire world. You'd think it'd be about facts and about evidence because that's how scientists and medical people operate. And I get it. But we're now reaching a point where there is a medical industry complex and, and they are using this to carry out their agenda. And that agenda is globalism, control, and like you saw in the prophecy updates, they're forcing vaccinations and they're, they're forcing it like in Massachusetts and it's coming. You're, we're not going to get away from that because it's an agenda. It's not science. It's an agenda. So, and let me, let me add in how the religion is playing as into this. The false religions of the world are all in on this narrative. So the Pope comes out this week, and remember what I've said about the Pope. If the tribulation were to happen, the rapture happened, and tribulation begins, that dude is the best candidate for the false prophet, for the Antichrist. There's no one else that fits the narrative. And now, obviously, God could use someone else and allow that, but man, this dude really fits the narrative of the false prophet. So he comes out and makes a statement in agreement with Bill Gates this week saying, you're right, everybody on planet Earth universally must be vaccinated. Why is a religious guy making medical statements? Why is he in line with the globalists economically and now medically? Why is he that? Because you know why? He could tell every Catholic to be a good Catholic, you got to have a vaccination. And millions of people would do it on his order. That's how powerful the guy is. Now, I'm not going to leave the evangelicals out of the loop either because you know what happened this week along with this medical narrative that we're seeing from the left? 2,700 prominent evangelical pastors and leaders came out with a signed document saying, you got to be vaccinated. What is God trying to show us in the church He's trying to show you and I who are the hirelings and who's legit. Who has sold out and who's holding ground. Because if these prominent 2,700 evangelical leaders think that forced vaccinations is good, they're either out of their mind and not looking at the evidence and the facts, or they're on the ticket for the agenda. And I think that's, that's very important. One more aside. Not only are the churches gathering this, uh, uh, gathering this, this groundswell of, of forced vaccinations now and distancing and all this other junk that you see, which medically is not proven, to obviously supporting the, the organization of Black Lives Matter. And I'm not, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the organization. So this week, Max Licato came out and 
apologize for being born white and his white privilege, and he's going to repent in front of everybody because that. And he led his congregation to do so. Just because you're born white, they say you're systemically racist. That's Max Licato, and the rest of them are following suit too. What is that about? Folks, follow that and watch that because God is revealing who are the hirelings and who isn't. That's the statement I want to make today in regards to last week. I want to add that on because it's still happening. And that fight, it's coming to your doorstep. It's coming to your doorstep. Verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. Now, we understand it's on all the Egyptians. It made them incapacitated. They can't work. They can't move. And it specifically targets the magicians or the sorcerers because that means they can't do their religion. They can't function as priests. They simply cannot worship their gods. And so all religious activities are shut down in Egypt. Very similar to the shutdown that's going on in America of all of the churches being shut down. And so, obviously... God wants to make that point to Egypt. I'll shut the whole system down that you have. Verse 12. Now here's where we're going to drill down. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So let's, let's unpack what that means. Unfortunately, there's a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, who come from a Reformed Calvinistic background. And because of that, they believe in what's called theistic determinism. To break it down real simple is that God condemns people to hell on purpose, never gives them a chance to be saved, and then only saves the ones he wants, called the elect. That's nonsense. That comes from paganism. That comes directly from the Greek philosophies of Gnosticism, Stoicism, and all that other stuff. That was brought into Christianity, and unfortunately, it's still with us. So when they interpret a passage like this, they will put on it, say, see, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, which means to them... This is not correct, that God went in there, arbitrarily changed Pharaoh's heart to be hardened so he can be condemned to hell. That's not what the text is saying. Unfortunately, Calvinism makes the death mark in their interpretation by not interpreting things from a Jewish perspective. That is their mistake. They simply ignore the context and the culture and the way they said things. Now, that being said, let me explain this. First off, a hard heart, the Bible says that people develop that on their own. They're not born with a hard heart. They develop it. And the longer they go in rejection of God, their hearts become harder. And now when we're talking about believers, their hearts can be hard too in pockets because they're rejecting what God says on a particular area. They just refuse to to acknowledge it, repent, and they just stay that way. Not saying they're not saved. Let me make this caveat, too. A hard heart does not mean the person cannot be saved. It also doesn't mean the person cannot repent as a believer from that hard heart. It just means that's the state that they're in. And so we put ourselves in that state. People put themselves in that state. That's the first thing you got to understand. Now we move to this passage, and the second aspect is that when someone does this, especially a leader like Pharaoh, and puts himself in opposition to God and hurts God's people, affects them because of their hard heart, then something else can happen. God will harden their heart as well. 
Now, okay, now explain that, Brandon. Hardening of heart, if you take the Hebrew word, it does not mean like uh, to calcify something. It means to strengthen. It means to strengthen. And so when you understand that the person can strengthen their heart against God, then what is God doing strengthening the heart of the person? Well, God is not violating their will. He's not doing that. What it means is this, that God is giving the person the strength to carry out what they already want to do so that they will not be afraid of God or of the supernatural things going on around them so they can carry through with what they want to do. What does Pharaoh want to do? Wipe out every Jew. Kill them. He's going to eventually wants to annihilate them, right? That's, that's his goal. That's been his bent. So God is going to say, I'm going to give you over, and this is where Romans 1 comes in, I'm going to give you over to what you want. You want to do this to my people? Fine. I'm going to actually strengthen you so that when you see the plagues, you don't become afraid. Because any one of us in our own strength saw these supernatural things happen, we would buckle under the pressure. We couldn't handle it. We would fall. And Pharaoh would have fall, fell. But for some reason, he just keeps pushing through, pushing through, because God keeps strengthening him to keep going, keep resisting. Is that a violation of his will? No. He's actually causing Pharaoh to have enough strength to carry through with what Pharaoh wants to do. That's what hardening of heart is. And, 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 and so when you see this, why does God, from his perspective, want this to be carried through? Because it will become a witness to the entire world and us about what God did to Egypt. And he, God wants the ten plagues to happen. He wants the Red Sea to happen because that will become an evangelistic motive for the entire world, not only in that time, but our time today. So there's a reason behind it, behind the hardening. Now, with that being said, let's continue on, and then I'm going to unpack some things for what happened with Jesus about this situation with Israel, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Look in verse 13. So here's the, the plague of hell as it unfolds. And then we go into 13, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send my plagues to your very heart. I'm going to go personally on you on this one. I'm going to strike right at your heart. See, notice how God's striking at the heart. The striking at the heart is, is, is to strengthen him, to keep resisting. And on your servants to keep resisting. And on your people that, they, that you may know, and here's the purpose of this, that there is none like me in all the earth. Let me explain that phrase and then we'll get to verse 15. There is none like me on the earth. That phrase has to do with a context called the angelic conflict. As you know, Satan and a third of the angels fell and then they have a, a host of demons as well with them in opposition to God. Satan then, according to Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 11, Satan positions his high-ranking angels in different parts of the world. Every part on this planet is ruled by a fallen angel. At the same time, God has his good angels ruling over the, other, the, the same areas as well. So that's where the angelic conflict's at. So you have good angels and bad angels in the same territory fighting against each other. And we're in the middle of this, okay? 
in the ancient world, how they thought about the fallen angels that they, they worshipped, they called them gods, Elohims, but they thought, and, and, and this was the, the, even a part of the Hebrew mind in many ways, but Moses explains this a little bit different and, and finally gets them out of it, but this, this is what they thought, that the local deity over that particular area was powerful only in his country. If you took that local deity out of that country and put him in a foreign land, he could have no power in that foreign land because they understood the idea of territorial rulership. That in this part of the land, another deity rules, and in that part of the land, another deity rules. And again, it was just positioning of fallen angels that Satan put. You see this in Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 11. When, when one of the high-ranking angels came to talk to Daniel... He was resisted by a fallen angel called the prince of Persia. And then uh, Michael has to get called in. Michael is the prince of Israel. He's the guardian of Israel. He comes in and and arrests this other angel, the prince of Persia, to let this other angel go to speak to Daniel. Then when the angel is done speaking to Daniel, he goes, I must leave you, but I have to go now and fight against the, the prince of Greece. So as you can see, Satan has got his princes all over different nations. And God as well has his particular angels. And this, folks, comes down to the individual level as well. Darius the Mede is spoken of in Daniel. And it is said that, this, that there's a good angel at the time who was supporting Darius I. At the same time, Satan had his fallen angel attacking Darius from this end and a good angel to support him. That's true today. These people who are in leadership, please understand this. The forces of darkness and the forces of light are working around them. The forces of light are trying to oppose their darkness, but it's up to the individual which side they will go on. And unfortunately, a lot of the world leaders are siding with the area of darkness. But make no mistake, as Satan has his people or his fallen angels in place, God has his angels who try to help. And so when you see a leader trying to make good decisions and doing the right thing, rest assured there's an angel supporting him, strengthening him in that position or her. But these other people that succumb to that, they're being tempted by fallen angels. Okay, so back to this phrase, that there is none like me in all the earth, is telling not only Egypt but Israel Yahweh is not a territorial local deity. He's the God of the whole planet. He can go anywhere and have the same kind of power. And this is what would be taught to the Jews, and it's going to be spread out to the Egyptians and all over the world, that God is all-powerful. He's not a local tribal deity like a fallen angel. Then let's move to the next phrase. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. The idea is, look, if I wanted to, I could take you out any time. But I'm not. You ever wonder why God doesn't remove Satan and the fallen angels because of all the evil they cause? How come he doesn't remove these people out of offices? Some of these people are career politicians for 40 years. That's all they do. How come God doesn't remove them? Because there's an ultimate purpose going on. That's why. It's not that God's not answering our prayers. He's saying, your prayers don't fit my plan. I'm going to use Pharaoh for a reason. That's why I'm keeping him alive and strengthening his heart to keep resisting me. And here is the purpose. 
Underline this in your Bibles. This is the key verse in understanding the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. Why is God keeping Pharaoh alive? But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, referring to Pharaoh. God's using Pharaoh, right? That I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. I'm going to show my power over these other fallen angels, that I'm the one who created them, and I'm going to have you keep resisting me so that these ten plagues will be a testimony to my power, and the Red Sea will be to my power, and it will act as an evangelistic mission to the entire earth. And to this day, it still is. What God did in Egypt is still an evangelistic mission that's still out there today. Why? The issue is judgment. What does the Holy Spirit convict people of? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The theme has never went away. God wants those three concepts to be embedded in people's hearts so they understand their need for Jesus. If you're not afraid of judgment, then you won't see a need for Jesus. You won't see a need for salvation. Why do I need to be saved? Doesn't everyone go to heaven when they die? It's that kind of mentality. No, you're going to be judged and sent to hell because of your sin. That's your problem. And and, until people recognize that, they won't have a need for a savior. So that's why the plagues are judgment to show people of the world you're under condemnation until you come to Yahweh. And Yahweh can rescue you. So that's the purpose. So let me make an application for this a little bit. What you see happening in Egypt is happening today. There's no doubt about it. That's why these world leaders are doing what they're doing and nothing's getting in the way of them. Why does all these globalists get their way, like Bill Gates and and Soros and whatnot? Because God is allowing it. God is allowing this because the world is heading somewhere. It's heading to the tribulation. That's where this is all going. So the reason you and I are frustrated watching the world get the way it is is because God's saying, I have a plan and a purpose, and it's going to this direction. So when they introduce digital currencies and, and, and all these things, globalism and tracking systems that's going to be on your persons, you, you know from reading Scripture where this is heading. That's why these people are not going away. There is a purpose behind it. And God is allowing them to do what they want to do because eventually, guess what God's going to do? You don't like my church, you don't like my believers, fine, I'll take them away. And then I'll give you over to the tribulation and the plagues, and you will have the Antichrist, because that's who you want to worship. You will have Satan to worship, and that's what you will get. I will give you Satan. And that's a form of judgment. Now, can they escape that? Of course. Hard-hearted people can escape that and get saved, and believers can repent. So we're not talking about salvation. It's just their modus of operandi. But let me go to the first century. This is important to understand. When you look at Moses and Pharaoh, it is a typology. Okay, It points to a lot of things. It points to the tribulation and the Antichrist. But it also points to the first century, too. Moses is a typology for the Messiah. He is the deliverer of Israel, right? Messiah is the deliverer of Israel. So when you see Moses, it's a picture of the Messiah, what he will do for Israel. Moses will take them out of 
physical bondage, but Messiah will take people out of spiritual bondage, if that makes sense. There, there will come an exodus spiritually for people through the Messiah. But then in the first century, who's Pharaoh? I know in the last days, Pharaoh is typifying of the Antichrist, but who was the hard-hearted person or people in Jesus' day that kept resisting him? It is the Jewish religious leaders. They are the Pharaoh of that day. I'm going to make real clear we understand this. The religious leaders represented the nation. And please understand, there were a large group of Jewish people that believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But the religious leaders were in control of the country. So God works through authority. The religious leaders refused to acknowledge his power. They refused to admit that he was the Messiah because they liked their power. And hence, they resisted him. But I want you to see this in the text of the same thing that happens to them as it is happening to Pharaoh. This is in John chapter 12, 37 through 40. And it says this, But although he had done so many signs before them, notice the order, Messiah comes, even in the first year and a half, Messiah does miracles, he does the messianic miracles, and proves he is God in the flesh and he is the Messiah. Because no one could do the things Jesus did and not be God. They, had, they knew that, okay? But what does it say? They did not believe in him. Notice, the, notice that. S- signs were given, but they won't believe. That's what's happening to Pharaoh. Miracles are happening in front of Pharaoh, and he won't believe. Okay, then what, what does God do to Pharaoh? He hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he can re- keep resisting. Watch what happens in the text. That... The word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and what? And hardened their hearts. Lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Now, what's going on here? Isaiah is predicting the penalty that will come upon the religious leaders and the nation because of their rejection of Jesus. Now, understand, you have to go follow the timeline. Jesus has proven he's the Messiah through works and miracles. The the, uh, religious leaders reject him on the basis that they don't deny his power, but they attribute his power to Beelzebub, one, uh, the Lord of the Flies, one of the high-ranking uh, demons or, or fallen angels. They attribute his power to fallen angels. And so on that basis, they reject him. That's the national rejection of, of, of Israel to the Messiah. That puts Israel in, unto, into the unpardonable sin, and 70 AD will destroy that temple and the nation and scatter them abroad. And again, this is for the nation as a whole, not individuals. You can escape this as an individual by coming to faith in Messiah. Okay. That being the case, then, once Israel makes its official statement, he does power by, the, by Beelzebub. That's it. At that point, Jesus will change his whole ministry. He will go into parabolic mode that they don't understand what he's saying. He will only heal people who have faith in him personally, and he'll tell them to tell no one. He instantly goes back into almost a retreat and stops giving information to Israel. Hence, 
then what the scriptures is saying is that God starts hardening the hearts of the Jewish leadership. Here's my question to you. He hardened Pharaoh so that the message of the gospel of Yahweh would get out. What is he hardening the religious leaders of Israel to do? Hardening means I'm going to strengthen you so that you don't freak out about the miracles and don't become afraid because they would have been afraid of Jesus seeing the miracles they did. You would have been deathly afraid because he's exhibiting characteristics of God. He's going to strengthen the religious leaders and what do the religious leaders want to do to Messiah? Kill him. They have been on a rampage ever since they rejected him to kill him. And remember, they tried to throw him off a cliff, and the other parts of the time, he'd be in a crowd, and they'd try to grab him, but he would disappear on them. So God is strengthening the religious leaders to do what they want to do and not back down. For what? So that they would kill Jesus, but at the time that God wants him to die so that the Messiah would make the sacrifice for our sins, the propitiation to satisfy God's wrath, and make the atonement for us. So in effect, he strengthens them to murder the Messiah, but in effect, by murdering the Messiah, the joke's on them. Because his death brings salvation, and guess what goes out to the entire world? The gospel. Of what? Jesus Christ. In Egypt, it was the gospel of Yahweh's plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt. The good news now is the message of salvation because the religious leaders hardened their heart and God hardened their heart to murder him. It played right into the plans of God for the ultimate reason for salvation. You see how that works? So what you see happening now, here, the application is, don't freak out about what you're seeing. Understand this principle that what's happening right now, the hardening of hearts, is for a purpose, is for a reason. We are heading to something. And by the way, the good news is you won't be here for it. He eventually will take you away from it. But right now he wants you here. He wants you to fight some more. For however long that is, so be it. We'll fight as long as he keeps us here. But he's going to give this world what they need, what they desire. Verse 17 as yet you exalt yourself against my people. That's talking about Pharaoh. He exalts himself with his pride and his arrogance. He thinks he's better than them. He thinks he's better than Yahweh. It's his pride. His pride is, is just swelling his head. He can't, have a, he can't wear a hat anymore or a crown. His head's so big. Against my people in that you will not let them go. You are becoming an obstruction to my people worshiping me. I pity the fool, as Mr. T said. Any politician, any mayor that tries to prevent the church from meeting right now, I pity you because you're asking for condemnation. You're asking to get hammered by God. He doesn't take it lightly when you prevent his people from worshiping him because I know what he did in Egypt and I know what he'll do to you personally. Not a, not a pleasant sight. Verse 15, or 18, I'm sorry. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause a very heavy rain, a very heavy hail to rain down. Such has not been in Egypt since its founding. Egypt was founded in 3200 BC, and for almost two millennia, they've never seen a storm like this hailstorm that's going to, about to hit them. This is the seventh plague. 
Therefore, send, uh, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Notice the mercy and the grace infused in that. I'm going to send a plague of hail, but you know what? Put your animals inside. They won't die. Every, you put your servants inside. No one will die if you go seek cover. That's, a, that's grace and mercy. And you know what? Some of the Egyptians did it. Because they believed in Yahweh. They actually, you see a conversion here. And you'll see many of them convert and go with Moses into the desert. So look at this, verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee into the house, to the houses. Great. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and livestock in the field. Real simple. And this is a simple principle. If you ever get jammed up in a decision-making process and you don't know what to do, and sometimes you're between a rock and a hard place, the principle you want to use is what you're deriving from this. And this is the principle. If you don't know what to do, just always side to obedience. Always side to obedience with God. Am I being obedient even though I don't know what direction to go to? Because even if you don't know what decision to make, obedience protects you. Every time. It's when we get out here and say, I think I'm going to do my own thing, you're unprotected and you're going to get hammered by reality. So even if you're like, man, I don't know what decision, just stay put and stay obedient and just do what you need to do because you're going to get out there if you don't. And folks, now is not a time for Christians to play games with their lives and their children's lives and their families' lives. You can't be gambling your children and your family away thinking, Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that because of fear. If we are driven by fear, folks, you're going to end up in a mess. Stay obedient, stay faithful, and only move if God tells you to move. Go here, go there, whatever he tells you to do. Stay with obedience. It will be the only protection for us in this time period. Okay, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. Notice, notice these other things. And fire darted to the ground. So it's not just hail. There's fire coming down. Maybe that's lightning. I don't know. But it says there's fire. I think if it would meant lightning, it would say lightning. But it says fire. So fire is being rained down along with the hail. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and notice this, and fire mingled with the hail. Notice the word uses the word mingle. Now, that's not a natural phenomenon. Hail is a, a, a chunk of ice in a ball, but it says the fire is mingled in with it. So I want you to think about what that would affect. Big, giant chunks of, of hail. Maybe the size of bowling balls or something. Imagine that. What it would do to the land is it pounds the land, pounds buildings, pounds animals, pounds humans with bowling ball size of hell. You would leave the land totally desolate. But it's not just the pounding. It's the fire. The fire would light up all of Egypt. It would burn down every tree, every palm tree they have, every grass. So you're not only getting pounded... You're getting fire on your land to wake the Egyptians up. What's happening right now? I can barely see outside with all the smoke. 
They say every county is dealing with some type of fire. Now, are, am I putting that under biblical uh, uh, you know, auspices of, of the plagues? No, but I'm saying this. Every season we have these fires, and now it's really out of control. Make no mistake, God will use what he needs to use to wake people up. And if he deems necessary for California to wake up, let's set the place on fire. Now, we all understand the human element in that. You know, the, the radical environments won't let us clear brush or clear the forests, and, and they won't clear line, uh, the, the ground underneath lines anymore, which sparks a lot of problems. But a lot of this is caused by lightning, lightning strikes. You think people are going to wake up and say, you know what? Our world is chaotic, man. You know, we got this corona thing. We, got, we shut down the schools. We did that. We shut down the economy. And now we're having all these fires. I guess it's all accident. No one connects dots. The Hebrews, when they looked at weather, they observed the signs of the times and even noticed the weather. Jesus even remarked to them about that. People are not paying attention to the grace and mercy, and, and God is trying to extend that right now to wake people up. Hey, does fire wake you up? Does a pandemic wake you up? Does a loss of your job wake you up? If that doesn't wake you up, what's left? Well, I guess this is a tribulation and the Antichrist, I guess. But God has given a warning shot. He's firing shots across the bow. And it's not to hurt people. It's to wake them up for grace and mercy. That being the case, it struck the whole land of Egypt. And it says this, there was hail and fire mingled with hail, so heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So this is unprecedented. Notice what I just said, unprecedented, unprecedented. Don't miss that. When it says that this is unprecedented for Egypt, that's a biblical principle of birth pains. Have you noticed that a lot of people are talking about certain weather phenomenon as unprecedented? This is unprecedented. Now, don't, don't go on the, the rabbit trail. This is global warming and we've got to cut down our carbon emissions. That's a joke. That's a hoax. But... If you pay attention to what's going on in the weather, through, through even the last decade, we are having unprecedented things happen. By the way, every Sunday we show you on our prophecy the earthquakes. Why do we show you that? Because that's one of the hallmark signs that Jesus said would increase in the last days. Question, have, in, have earthquakes increased? You better believe they have. They've increased and the intensity over a 5.0 is getting worse. What is that? It's unprecedented. And that unprecedented is supposed to wake people up. Do you think people are paying attention to earthquakes? They're probably not. But it is a sign. Jesus said it would be. Anyway, verse 25. And the hail struck the whole land of Egypt that all that was in the field, both man and beast... And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. The idea is now we're moving into plague seven, eight, and nine. And this cycle of plagues brings desolation or ruin to this. They're never going back to it, so to speak. It's ruined. Everything is ruined. The buildings are ruined. Everything caught on fire. It's ruined. Everything is desolate. And that's what these last three plagues will do, barring the, the 10th plague. Okay, that being the case, let's talk about some application on this. 
I want to stop there because we, you're going to get into another aspect that Pharaoh is dealing with Moses, and I want to bring that out next week. But the application is this. We're all going to have to deal with hard-hearted people, stiff-necked people, and they're going to be a challenge for us. The initial thing is to pray them away, and that's not going to happen. It just becomes a thorn in your flesh, and you have to deal with it. Okay, so what can we derive from Moses about how he dealt with Pharaoh? Okay, we want to take our cues from Moses. I want you to notice this about dealing with Pharaoh. Moses will never trust Pharaoh's words. As you will see, and if you've already seen in the plagues, Pharaoh will always say, okay, I give up, uncle, um, Stop the plagues. You're right, Moses. I'm wrong. In the next phrase, you'll see, say, you'll see him say, I'm a sinner. And all the people of the Egyptians are sinners. You think, wow, is he getting saved? Wow, he's speaking the language. Uh, yeah, you're right. Your God's the most powerful. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I can't believe I did this. Let the, plagues go, let the plague of hell go away. And you know what Pharaoh does every time? He goes right back at it. He goes right back at it. God told Moses, Moses throughout this whole thing, he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to repent. We're going to go all the way through this one. So what Moses is doing is trusting in the word of the Lord that Pharaoh is not going to repent. But what game is Pharaoh playing with Moses? He's pretending to repent. He's saying, oh, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I <laughs> Make it stop. All Pharaoh is doing is playing a word game with Moses, and Moses doesn't believe it at all. He just keeps going back, let him go, let him go, let him go, let him go. Now, the application in this for you and I is this. Anytime you're dealing with a person who has a hard heart or a stiff neck or they have categories of hardness, do not believe what they say. Believe their behavior. Pharaoh's behavior is all the indication you need to know that that guy, he might even have said the words that seemed like he's coming to faith in Yahweh, but he's not. He's a liar. And a lot of people in Christianity are liars because they say they believe in Jesus, but they really don't. There's a lot of pastors who are not really pastors. They're hirelings and they're not, they're fake. They say they love Jesus, but they don't. And how do we know Watch their behavior. Their behavior will tell you everything of what they believe. James says your behavior and your faith are interlocked. If you say you're a Christian, it should. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it should evidence in the life. Not all of the time. Not all the time. I get it. But there should be something there. And again, if there's not, it could be a carnal Christian or whatnot. But when you're dealing with somebody like this, you have to stop listening to them because they can sweet talk you. Pharaoh has a good sweet talker. Most hard-hearted people are the best sweet talkers you've ever seen. Like these politicians. They say they love the children. Then why do you shut down the schools? We're doing this for the, 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 the kids. Really? Because the suicide rate's skyrocketing on kids. You're going to destroy the education. You really love the kids, huh? It's not about the kids. It's about control. That being the case, watch their behavior and see if it unfolds. The second thing I want to bring about is this. 
When you're dealing with a hard-hearted person, understand you're dealing with a very self-righteous person, a very prideful person, a, very, a person that, that thinks they can do no wrong, okay? And here's the mistake that you and I will make. When someone's heart is prideful, they don't listen. No one's listening when they're prideful. So this is what happens to Christians. Christians make the mistake and they say, you know what? I know if I tell him the 20th time, he'll get it. Or the 30th time, she'll get it. Or if, you know what, if I sweeten the deal and I come at this angle, or if I come at that angle, or if I come at this angle, I know eventually I'm going to break through and they're going to listen to me. People think more information to the person who has already heard the truth will wake them up. In fact, the more information you give to someone who's hard-hearted, the more they reject it. We think more information is needed. Let me ask you this question. When you read the Gospels, how many times did Jesus repeat himself? You ever see Jesus saying, you guys just don't get it. Let me explain it this way. Or you guys just don't get it. Let me explain it that way. It's like this. Once the religious leaders rejected him, he went into parabolic mode. He wouldn't speak directly to them. He spoke in parables, and they didn't understand what he was talking about. He went and hid the information from them. Now, that's something we got to think about. Jesus said it this way. Do not cast your pearls before swine. For in, the, in doing so, the swine, the pig, will trample on the pearl that you gave them and then turn and attack you. When you're dealing with hard hearts, all you have to do is tell them one time. And if they've been told the information one time, that's where you leave it. You don't have to keep speaking over and over again, thinking that someday they'll get it. Jesus told them one thing, and that's it, and he left it at that. In fact, he wouldn't and refused to give them any more information because of their hard heart. Man, I'm telling you what, that is one of the best ways you can deal with someone like that. Quit giving them information. Stop talking in that area, whatever that hard heart is, because you're going to get yourself jammed up. The scripture says if you keep giving information to someone that won't listen, you're the fool. Not them, you are, because you're casting pearls before swine. It's not working. Stop. And notice what Moses will do. He will never try to bargain with Pharaoh. He will never try to explain it. He just keeps saying, let him go, let him go, let him go, let him go. Same message. Never changes it. That's what we need to apply. Let me give you an illustration, and we'll end on this, about hard hearts. As you notice, Pharaoh's hard heart is desolating Egypt. It's making it a wasteland because of his stubborn pride. It's because of him, he's desolating, destroying, and ruining Egypt. And by the way, when he ruins Egypt, the Hiskos will come in and take over Egypt for a period of time. And they're non-Egyptian. They're Semitics that take over after this incident with Pharaoh, and he desolates Egypt. There's no army, there's nothing left. And so they get taken over uh, by this group of Semitic people out of the, the Asian area. Okay. This is how dangerous hard hearts are. They, they destroy things. They divide families. They destroy everything in their path. So, so let me give an example of a modern-day example of this and how deadly it is. I was watching a documentary on uh, the Chicago Bulls in the, the early 80s and through the 90s. And it's about Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all these guys that, that played with the Chicago Bulls when they were the big dynasty. Remember, they ended up winning. The Chicago Bulls won six NBA championships. Two three-peats. 
between Michael Jordan's hiatus with baseball. And anyway, I thought this was interesting because I saw the same phenomenon that I'm seeing in Scripture. It's the same principle. When you put that, that team together, they were unbeatable. Man, I mean, just unbelievable. You had Michael Jordan at his prime, and they could just, wow, it was amazing. But through the course of things, the, the documentary shows you behind the scenes of what was going on behind the player's back. And behind the player's back was this little GM manager of the Bulls who was getting jealous of not only Michael Jordan and Pippen and them winning because this little GM wanted to take the credit for the Bulls dynasty. And you and I know the Bulls dynasty has nothing to do with a GM general manager. But he didn't like that. He wanted to share the glory that Michael Jordan was getting and Scottie Pippen and and Dennis Rodman and all those players in there that won those championships. He wanted a piece of that, and he couldn't. And so you know what this guy did behind the scenes, and it finally came out? He destroyed the Chicago Bulls. Single-handedly, one man destroyed the Chicago Bulls. Jordan would have kept playing. But the first thing he did is he went after the coach and said, we're getting rid of Phil Jackson. How do you get rid of Phil Jackson when they, they've won all these back-to-back championships? Best coach there's ever been, usually, people would say. And you're going to get rid of Phil Jackson. Well, Michael Jordan comes and says, I'm not playing if Bill Jackson's not going to play, our coach. And then they were trading Scottie Pippen, and everyone else on the team was going their own separate ways because the, the GM was so prideful and arrogant and wanted that glory that he was willing to destroy the team and say, oh, we're in a process of rebuilding. Hey, look, if I got Michael Jordan, I ain't rebuilding anything. I just keep throwing him out there as long as he lasts. And that little guy destroyed the Chicago Bulls because he was stiff-necked, prideful, and he destroyed one of the greatest dynasties. And no one knew that until now the documentary comes out. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, And they interviewed Jordan, and he's just, I could have kept playing. We could have kept playing and won more. He goes, I think we could have won seven. I really do with that last team. Do you see how devastating hard hearts are? They destroy things. They bring things down. And boy, howdy, that's a lesson for us. It's happening around us, and we need to be aware of it. But we also have to guard ourselves personally that we never get a hard heart. We never get stiff-necked and won't cooperate with God because, folks, we can cause desolation because of that, and we don't want to do that. So let's always guard ourselves from that stiff-necked, hard-hearted attitude. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.